Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, parents, for your willingness, your desire. And I, you know, I'll just tag on to say for those of you who are parents tonight, uh, our Bible club for kids that's called Awana begins tonight. And I think you really ought to consider giving balance to your child because in the school every day, they're, they're, you know, be, they have to study. Well, give them some balance. We want to help make your kids workmen in the Word and studying the Word of God and biblical values as well as what they're getting in school. And so just balances everything out. It's a lot easier than sports because sports means one day during the week, travel time, uh, getting there early, and then doing cartwheels and skipping uh, afterwards, uh, and then a separate day of the week for the game. Uh, one is just Sunday night, and uh, yeah, I mean, we ought to be giving God the first day every week, the first dime out of every dollar, and the first part of every day, and so it's just Sunday night, so I'll start tonight just our Sunday night service, you know, if you're a parent, you adults, join us in here for our Feed the Soul prayer service. So uh, I invite you to do that. Just a quick report on how our El Salvador trip went uh, last week. And we got back in on Monday night late. And then we flew United. And on Tuesday, United had a total ground stop because of computer glitches. So thank you for praying. We made it back in just in time, and I think the ladies did a much better job than I did, because that, what the ladies were doing, that number just kept growing. They ended up with like 115 ladies, and uh, we did have a good time with, I don't know, 60 or 80 men, mostly pastors and leaders in churches, and Ramiro was really pleased because it was young men. It wasn't the old guys. It was young guys coming out, people we hadn't seen before. And so I think you ought to consider the fact that after World War II, Douglas Mark MacArthur asked Americans to send missionaries to Japan because he had control over Japan uh, while we set things up. And, and in terms of our government, we did such a good job rebuilding our enemy that, um, you know, they make some cars better than we do. I mean, that's how good a job we did. And... But yet, in terms of the church or the gospel, I'm not sure we had the influence that we could have, uh, having liberated that place, made it a free country. Similarly, um, El Salvador is just a strategic country, and you know that from the way that our government um, has treated them over the years. Uh, it's also a strategic country because what is one of the major uh, problems people might say in America at this time it would be it would be immigration it would be immigrant issues um, even as far north as New York City which the mayor is saying man this is going to destroy the city well okay uh, a lot of those immigrants come from countries surrounding El Salvador Honduras Guatemala El Salvador is strategically located. And it is a gold mine. That's why I go there. That's why we have the involvement we have. We are mining gold every time we go. I thank you for your prayers. We got an opportunity to do that last week when we went. And uh, we will be setting things up in the future for going back there again. Uh, Ask God to bless us today as as we get into this uh, study. Father, I thank you today. I thank you for this time that we share together. I thank you for this Sunday. I thank you for your word, Lord, and how your spirit can speak to us today, and especially on such a prime topic, 
like what we must do as parents, what we have to do if we are children, how we have to function together. Because, Lord, there are bigger things than us in this life. That you, have a, you have a much greater agenda, and it spans eternity. And it draws us into it, and it enables us to do things here on this planet that we will be rewarded for at the judgment seat of Christ. So, God, give us insight through your word. Pray that your Holy Spirit would speak. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Colossians chapter 3. I think we often run the risk of seeing our service to God as limited to church or limited to a Sunday or a worship service or limited to some specific opportunity in ministry. But Paul makes the case that your personal ministry is actually three things. Unconditional, because when you were called to salvation, you were called to service. So it is unconditional, it is continual, and it is purposeful. In other words, your life after you get saved is in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is put in you as his dwelling place. And that means that it is everywhere all the time, and it is preparatory for God's purpose for your soul in eternity. So that means it must be manifest in the home. And as it relates to the home here in Colossians 3, we're seeing Paul speak about two things. And we looked at the first one last time. He talked about a blessed partnership in verses 18 and 19. Wives, submit yourselves and your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. And he had to say these things, and it is so impactful if we will follow through in what is being talked about here, because this topic was fraught with both social and cultural misunderstandings. Because no unsaved Gentile naturally knows how God intends for his home to look, And we know that today from the parallel patterns that we have to Paul's readers here in Colossians. Because they are parallel patterns of dysfunction. Under Jewish law, a wife was considered to be the possession of her husband just as much as his house or his herds or his goods. She had no legal rights, and so under Jewish law, her husband could divorce her for any reason at any time, and yet she had no rights to initiate a divorce on any grounds. In Greek society, a respectable woman lived a life of seclusion, So she never appeared on the streets alone, not even to go to the market. Uh, She lived in the women's apartments, and she did not join her men even for meals. And from there, complete service and chastity was expected. And yet her husband could go out and do as much as he wanted. So under both the Jewish and the Greco-Roman law and custom, all the privileges belonged to the men, And all the duties and responsibilities came to the wife. Now, within that cultural context, Paul lays down a new standard for the Christian home. And he does set that standard within the divine institution of marriage. And what we had once was a dictatorship, but now it becomes a partnership. So the wife is to submit to her husband... But that is done as he acts like the Lord, 
not acting like a fool. And so his, he is not bitter against his wife. And so the wife's submission to her husband is based on the husband's loyalty to the Lord and his love for his wife. And both parties love, respect, and submit to God. But the husband, assuming the God-given leadership responsibility, the husband is the one who has to take the initiative And the wife is the one who should follow in readiness to respect and submit and to be the meet and fitting helper to her husband. So for our purposes, what we got to note, and this is our thesis for today's study, is that the reason that the issue of the home is so important is because every other institution in life is predicated upon that. So if the family is dysfunctional, those things that depend on the family are also destroyed. And that is the bottom line. Because whatever else you may be in life, politician, bricklayer, you came from a family. And that family influenced you. And that is why we do not just have a mental health crisis in America. We actually have a home crisis And your youth mental health is predicated on parental mental health. So what we have is not a crime crisis, but a family crisis. And there's no nice way to put it. And I, and I, and I I can't, you know, no easy way for me to say it, but I just got to be honest with you. We cannot soft sell this crisis anymore. And so, really, our first point for study is that if you do not care about your home, you don't care about your future. And what matters today is not what is happening in the White House, it's what's happening in your house. And so the challenge that we face in this church is how we handle our homes. The question is, where can we go to find out how to adult in the home? So last time we talked about partnering, but now what if you have kids? What obligation do children have in making your home work according to the mind of Christ? What is the purpose of parenting? Well, this is our second point for study. The divine purpose for parenting is the same as the divine purpose for marriage. It is to model the mind of mindset of Christ in this world to the lost. And here is how, because when the home place consists of a blessed partnership between husband and wife, it also consists of a blessed relationship between children and parents. Okay, watch, just watch, verse 20. Children, okay, that means a child, before he or she was given adult status. In other words, a minor. Children obey, and that means to listen attentively so they can conform to instructions. Now, no ADHD American child pays attention at all unless you make them. All all the teachers in all the schools said amen, because you know this. This has to do with training, and it's the same thing that your kids receive in the classroom. 
So just like the coach teaches your child to play a certain position on the sports team, just like the conductor teaches your child to play a certain instrument in an orchestra, the coach and the conductor both drill them and drill them over and over again until it becomes second nature. And what we are talking about is you taking the Word of God and the mind of Christ and doing the right thing so much that the new nature becomes second nature for your kids. Because basketball isn't just shooting free throws. Basketball, you've got a defender. You've got somebody against you. Football, as soon as you get the snap from center, where do you place your feet? I mean, somebody needs to get the Chiefs receivers on the line this morning. Uh, and I don't, I don't know what they're doing in the, you know, Friday practice after the 30, uh, Thursday night game. But I mean, most, most coaches are going to say, look, we're going to watch that film. You're gonna, you're gonna, I'm going to rub your nose in how you messed up. Because I want you to listen attentively to my commands... Because you need to do what you need to do by way of fulfilling a task so that you can be trained in playing that position. And the reason that the great athletes are great is because they're willing to submit to that and they're willing to do the right thing even when those things are counterintuitive to the natural way that they would normally do them. Now what does that mean for adulting in the home? Well, this is our third point for study. A child has to be taught what to do by being told what to do and then trained to do that regardless how they feel about it. It's the new nature becoming second nature in their life. That is what pleases Christ because that is what illustrates his mind. And a lot of our kids are being raised in contradiction to the mind of Christ. And if you do not make them mind you, then it is that much harder for your children to mind the Spirit. And at that point, you are left with one of two things. Either the courts will make them mind in jail, or the country will make them mind in the military. I'm just saying. Why is it that way? Well, look at Romans 8 verse 5. For they that after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. That's natural. That's the way it is. That's what you were born to do. But you know what? When you're born again, now you, you, now you are after the Spirit. Do your children go after the Spirit? Do they see you going after, following after, walking after the Spirit? Because they that are after the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded, well, that's life and peace. So in that passage, Paul explains to you exactly why. Why does our city see and suffer from the violence and from the death that it does? Because there is a crisis in the family where children have not been made to fall into line with good instructions from the parents. You know, when a child blows it, okay, when, the, when they blow it on the field, what does, what does the coach do? 
the coach makes them hit that tennis ball a hundred more times in just the right way so that the muscles are trained and they develop their own muscle memory. They get their own muscle memory. They don't have to think about it. It becomes intuitive for them. So he makes them go back and do the right thing repetitively so that they will not do the wrong thing so easily. And that is simple adulting in the home. And if everybody lines up to the Bible through the mind of Christ, then God's got a straight beeline through the son to the individual believer, to the husband in the home, through the wife, to the children, and ultimately back to the church to reach this community because we are illustrating the mind of Christ. And that is how we rescue our city. It is when everybody is in line following obedience to the mind of Christ So the word obey literally meant to hearken, to answer the door. It describes somebody responding to a knock on the door and then listening to the message that's delivered and then taking it and doing it exactly like it said or relating it exactly like it said. And Paul uses this word to talk about the role of the children as listening to the counsel, the advice, and the commands of their godly parents. And children who heed this admonition, look at verse 20. They find that this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. As a matter of fact, Paul goes even further when he writes the book of Ephesians. And so if you look at your handout, look at these verses, you'll find out how this is an Old Testament requirement which yields a New Testament reward. Watch verse 1. Children, Ephesians 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee. That's the promise. And thou mayest live long on the earth. And this is a particular issue for kids who are in their teens, because teenagers are at that awkward age and that awkward stage where they want more authority than their parents may be willing to let them have. And that creates a power struggle in the family. But there is a biblical authority structure in the family for a good reason. And the good, the good reason is obvious when we see teen suicides, teen homicides, teen violence, teen bullying, teen addiction, and alcoholism. And you know, Dave Barry once joked, he said, teenage boys already know everything. When a boy reaches 13, the knowledge fairy comes around and inserts into his brain all the information in the entire universe. From that point on, he no longer needs any parental guidance. All he needs is parental money. (laughs) But you know, that's not really the problem. The problem is you are getting old enough to be entrusted with responsibility, and yet you are not old enough, according to society, to make all your decisions that you want to make for yourself. So at times, you find yourself in a power struggle with your parents. And it's hard to let your parents be the parents. You know, first, because sometimes they are not adulting. They want to be your friend instead. Uh, But second you sometimes think that you know better than they do, and sometimes you do because you're not dumb. I'm not saying they're dumb. I'm just saying you're not dumb. And so so sometimes you do know better than than they know. 
and yet, God, you know, and this is another thing. God is grooming you to head up your own household and your own family one day, and your own parents may not be acknowledging that. But when you forget that only one entity can be in charge in any organization, then you find yourself in conflict because they control the parental money. They control the parental permission. They control the parental car. So I know it can be frustrating, but I need you to know that it is into this difficult relationship that if you are a teenager, particularly God gives you a ministry. He calls you to minister to your parents by letting them be followed and by obeying to the limit of your conscience under God. So as long as what they ask or what they say does not put you in conflict with your own relationship with the Lord or with the Bible, then you follow it. Why? Because your being right is not what Jesus is worried about right now. I mean, he doesn't have to be because there are consequences to your parents if they make wrong decisions. So your being right is not, is not what's worried about. Uh, you know, what is worried about, whether you honor your parents, doing that in all the ways you possibly can in a good conscience, if you do that, then you show your parents what it is to be a Christian. You show your peers what it is to live like Christ. You portray in front of our society exactly who Jesus is, and then you are making it easier for your parents to swallow their pride and admit when they're wrong, and that process makes it easier for them to trust you with more ownership, more responsibility, and more decisions because you show them that you respect their leadership and their values. Now, this needs to be a watershed message for you. And that means that the way things flowed for your family before this Sunday may need to flow in a different direction after this Sunday simply as a result of what God is saying here and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And that is true for husbands and that's true for wives and for single parents and for children. Now, since God understands how difficult this is to do, He gives kids an incentive. That incentive is an advantage. If you will obey me by honoring your father and your mother in the moment, then I will make life go easier for you. I'll even make it so you can enjoy a longer life on this earth. And just for added emphasis, Paul makes sure that you recognize this is the only one of the Ten Commandments that had a promise added to it. Everything else, no, you do it just because it's right. You do it just, just so it'll get done. This one's like, no, I understand. I'm, you know, I'm dealing with children here. I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to give them ice cream. Uh, I'm going to bribe them to, to get this done. But now here's the problem. A lot of parents are not adulting in the home by teaching the children in the home as they grow up the relationship between obedience to them as parents and the status of their own personal spiritual life. And because they do not teach their children that, it is because they themselves oftentimes are not walking in the Spirit on their own. Hello, somebody. 
Your child's obedience to you is, is not important just in order to get them to do what you want them to do and to do what you say they should do. That is a parenting by convenience approach. The reason it is significant is because they are then enabled to give God pleasure with their little life. And you are the parent. So you've got to make sure that your walk with Christ, your fellowship with the Spirit, your understanding of Scripture is so on point that in those things where you have to say yes or no, you have to say do or don't, God puts himself behind you. And you're able to let God back you up. I mean, parenting is really easy if you keep the if you keep the biblical philosophy and background in mind, and, um, you know, we'll see. I may take a week in Proverbs just to give us some of this, but it's a sliding scale from control to influence. When they're really young, 100% control. As they get older, less and less control, it's got to be influence. And part of that influence for a parent needs to be, look, I can't control my teenager, but if, if what I'm telling them is the right thing to do, and I've... You know, particularly if I've raised them right before this, well, well, then I can, I, you know, they don't do what I tell them and what I need them to do. Then I can take that before God and God backs me up Amen. in their life. So then that they understand that if they disobey you, they strain their own relationship with God. So we need to cultivate a spiritual maturity in our adulting to cultivate a spiritual motivation in our children and not just have an emphasis on legalism. Do not buy into the idea that I can just smother them with legalism and Junior will grow spiritual later on. No, make him learn the importance of his soul walk and his prayer life right now while he is young So you do not raise a rebel from God later on. And in that sense, that's what that verse means. Where it says, train up a child in the way he should go when he's older and will not depart from it. Why? Because what's the way he should go? The way he should go is turning to God for every problem in his life. Praying to God over every issue in his life. The test that he has. Well, you know, how he relates to a teacher, everything, you do, you train them to do that. You teach them, you train them, you task them. And that now brings up the subject of correction. What happened when you messed up at football practice? Well, I don't know about when you were in school, but when I played football in high school, that meant that I did push-ups or I did laps or I did some other physical discomfort. In basketball, you had to run wind sprints. And I think that what coaches know and understand, too many parents are ignorant of, and probably your coach follows the Bible maybe better than, and the book of Proverbs maybe better than you do. And shame on us, because you need to love your child more than he or she does by being more consistent with discipline and training. So Paul says, Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 9, they're all good, but look at verses 6 and 7. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, 
God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Well, Paul was able to say that because he was writing to Hebrews, and at least they understood from the book of Proverbs how discipline should be used. He couldn't say that to us today, could he? We've got, we've got a little more heavy lifting we got to do. Young children need their wills adjusted, just like you do. Godly chastening produces respect in your three-year-old, your four, your five, your six-year-old. And God is to us in our spiritual lives what we must be to our children. So all we've got to do to understand how to do it is mirror God to them like God is being to us. Because God chastens us not for every little thing, but for the right things. And we've got to discipline our children or else we lose their respect. Now, for some of you, a bell is going off right now. I mean, maybe a siren and flashing lights, because that explains a whole lot right there. But as far as adulting in the home, there's a right way to carry this out. Back in Colossians 3, look at verse 21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So if you cannot explain it, then take a time out and be patient before you discipline for it. Do you hear the words coming out of my mouth? If you discipline them in anger, that's going to provoke them to anger. If you discipline them arbitrarily or hypocritically, that's going to provoke them to anger. If you discipline them and cannot tell them why it is right to do so, they are provoked to righteous indignation. So if you don't do it like a good coach in an attitude of love that uses discomfort for training and not punishment. In other words, why does a coach do it this way with your kids? He does it this way with your kids, not necessarily perhaps because he loves them so much per se, but he sees what is in them that they do not understand that they have. And that coach knows how to use discipline as a tool to bring out of the player something he never thought he could do. And and so you just got to do that. You got to be that for them. Um, if If you just end up making them angry, they will hate being your child. So stop that. Eventually they will give up on you for that. And they will go their own way. But if you never discipline them, or you only discipline them when it's convenient for you, then you communicate to them that they do not matter. That you do not see in them a better thing that you can bring out of them. And God never does that with us. God never spanks except to love us and to bring out of us what he's put in us by the Holy Ghost. And then afterwards, we see the manifold grace of God. Now, if it's a spanking, maybe we also see stars. I don't know, but we see the manifold grace of God. I think too many parents today destroy their child's spirit at the same time that they try to break his or her her will. And they do that because they do not discipline this way, objectively, consistently, biblically, and in a manner that will train instead of punish 
And so adulting in the home, this is our fourth point for study. Adulting in the home means discipline is a form of discipleship, not a form of retribution. Correct them when they are wrong. Cuddle them when when it's all done. Now let's finish by putting this passage in perspective. God goes from the individual to the believer. So how should we think about the family? You know, for, 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 I think we've got to be thinking straight as individuals. <clears throat> and there was a lady one time who, you know, said that she invited her family over to her house for Thanksgiving, not just in November, but anytime they had occasion to celebrate a graduation, something else going on, they would have a Thanksgiving meal. And so can you imagine, she said, you know, we have about 10 Thanksgivings a year. Can you imagine what that would do to your diet? But here in Colossians 3.17, we're told that 10 Thanksgivings a year would not be enough for a Christian who is going to follow Paul's advice in verse 17. In whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. In fact, if you'll just flip a page to chapter 2, look at Colossians 2. Paul declares in verses 6 and 7, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And that is true biblical adulting in the home as regards your parenting. And in Ephesians 5, I mean, verses 18 to 21, but just look at verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we as Christians have to learn how to be thankful and grateful people and our children seeing us be that so that they can be directed to be that. So that's got to be true in every aspect of our lives. It should especially be true in our homes and how we deal with our families, our spouse, and our children. Because there are harsh words and harsh feelings in a home when there is a lack of thankfulness. And when if you, when you've got to do the harsh thing and make the harsh decision and enforce the harsh rule, you've got to balance it. Mediate, mediate that thing. You know, mollify it with thanksgiving to God through Jesus Christ. So when parents or children forget the blessing that their wife, their husband, their child, their parent is to them, it's no bueno. Give thanks. So we live our own individual lives to the glory of God. But does God give, get glory out of your home? Does your partnering and your parenting add even one candle power to God's brightness? If you are thinking right about your personal life, but God is not getting glory out of your family life, then it just shows how you are not implementing the mind of Christ in adulting in your home. Now, what this says to you if you're single is this. You've got to stop focusing on the fact that you're single and you're alone and instead put your mind by an act of your will Put your mind on fulfilling God's purpose for your singleness. 
And God's purpose for your singleness is the same as his purpose for marriage or family or home or parenting. It is for your state to illustrate God's mind and to match your standing in Christ. Because if you do not do that, your heart will follow your head. And if your mind is focused on being alone, your heart will always be lonely. All of us are beset by thoughts that tempt us to situations we should not be in, things we should not do, stuff we don't need to be thinking. Singles have certain ones, married people have certain ones, workers have certain ones, students have certain ones, children have certain ones, teenagers have certain ones. And you cannot stop those thoughts from flying through your brain. But you do not have to let them build a nest. Hello, somebody. You don't have to dwell there. you got to go back to the first two verses of this chapter, Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. you got to kick in a new mindset. So how do you kick it into gear? Well, you're asking good questions today as we close. Our brain is a great machine. But, you know, there's one thing that our mind cannot do. We cannot think simultaneously of two things at the same time. That's what separates us from God, even though we're made in God's image. I mean, we can flip back and forth really quick, but you can't focus on two things at once. And that brings us to our fifth point for study. Since our minds are not capable of thinking about two things at the same moment, the way to get a divine mindset is simply focus on God's interpretation of how we should be feeling. Most of the time, we feel the way we feel because of what the world tells us to feel. And that is, that is how you feel when you're going through a circumstance. So when you're a teenager, you must feel this dysphoria. When you are not married, you must feel this incompleteness. When your wife hacks you off, you must feel this disrespected. When your husband is a jerk, you must feel unloved. You must feel ugly, lonely, resentful, angry, alone, hopeless, discouraged, suicidal, bitter. And all that psychotherapeutic counseling does for you today is validate that. So when the, when the world tells you to feel depressed, you live it out. And at that moment, if you're a Christian, Holy Spirit's going to tap you on the shoulder. And if you're a believer, he's going to say, I'm grieved with that feeling. You are thinking the wrong way. Find out my mind on that matter. And if you will replace those thoughts by renewing your mind and not being conformed to the world, you will personalize This passage for you. Look at Romans 12, verse 2 on your handout. And be not conformed to this world. How? How can I keep from being conformed? By being transformed by the... How do I transform myself? By the renewing of your mind. Because then, watch this, you can prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You can please God with your life. And then you're engaging Christ's mind through prayer and through Bible reading and through listening to preaching and through discipleship and encouraging other believers and the fellowship of the saints. And then God joins you in that action and in that emotion. For most of us, how we feel determines what we do. And even your employer understands that. That's why they put a price tag on your feelings and they are willing to spend money for your morale, to boost your morale. But our final point for study today is this. In order to change how you are feeling, you've got to bring truth in. 
And you've got to bring in truth that is more significant than the feeling and allow the Holy Spirit to take His truth and rejuvenate your emotions. One time a one-legged school teacher from Scotland came to visit Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, great missionary, had started China Inland Mission. And he came to Hudson Taylor, said he wanted to be a missionary to China. And Hudson Taylor took a lot of time asking him all sorts of things, trying to avoid the main elephant in the room and, you know, just sort out whether this guy, you know, is really serious about God calling him to China. But finally, Hudson Taylor just had to ask him straight up. He said, look, tell me, why does a one-legged man want to go to China? And his answer was, because there aren't any two-legged people willing to do it. So the truth of the matter today is this. You, you know, God has given you everything that you need to serve him right now. As a spouse, as a parent, as a single person, even if you feel like a one-legged, one-armed sheetrocker or paper hanger, uh, uh, God has given you everything you need. And while I may not be able to do what you can do and you may not be able to do what I do, we can all do what we ought to do and make a difference in the lives of people, in the lives of our children, in the lives of our ministry, and in the lives of this church. Will you do what God is asking you to do? Will you do it completely? Will you do it consistently? Will you do it committedly? Will you alter your life, give it to God, and labor for Him? Will you do that afresh and anew today? Will you take the job of serving God and love it? Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, from Sunday to Sunday, the thing I don't know is this. I, I, I never really know. I mean, sometimes I find out maybe for one or two, but really I don't know how many of you have had a specific opportunity to apply the sermons we've been preaching in, in your own life. I mean, maybe specific situations where you had to decide to engage the mind of Christ in place of your own. But it will make a difference in any situation in which it is applied. But you know, frankly, maybe while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you need to take advantage of the altar this morning. Maybe you need to take advantage of it right now. I mean, I don't know when the last time it was that I gave this type of invitation, but maybe you need to get up right now from where you're at, step out into the aisle, come here to the front, stand or kneel someplace, and beg God to help you give up yourself and follow Jesus. You know, sometimes, you know, I might have people say to me, you know, Alan, I see your sermon online, and well, I, can't, I just can't understand why you're altered. It just didn't fall. You know, really, it's not about that. I'm not about filling altars. But I am about you making a decision. Whether you sit there or you come up here. But if you need prayer, we got people here at the front and, and we will pray with you. If you need prayer over yourself or for yourself or you just with your, you want somebody to just pray with you, we will do that today. And that kind of prayer and the subsequent application of Christ's mind 
Even if it doesn't change the situation, it'll change you in that situation. Make it your habit to know the Word of God and apply the mind of Christ with your one and only life. You must decide. And you know what? If you're lost today, you must decide also if you're not a Christian by being born again. If you've never been born again, you must decide also. Because you've got to be born again before you can apply the mind of Christ. I mean, wouldn't you like to have God's thoughts in your thinking? I mean, you know you've made a mess of it. Because all you've done is think about things from the world's perspective. I don't blame you. I don't say that to blame you. That's all any of us think before we're born again. But today, be a man, be a woman, be a husband, be a wife, be a father. Be willing to humble yourself, not not just because of humility, but before God. Be willing to humble yourself even in front of others before God. Be the person God created you to be by giving him control of your mind. He died on the cross to make payment for your mess. The least you can do is give him your life in exchange. One of the songs we sang this morning, Francis Francis Ridley Havergal, Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. You need to turn control of your life over to Jesus because he promises you that he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Say, Alan, how do I do that? Just pray. It's just your heart to God. Just pray today. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I did not deserve you. But you came to die for people just like me. Doesn't matter what I've done. Doesn't matter where I've been. God, you know all the regrets I have. I am such a sinner. And I may not admit it to anybody else, but God, I've got to admit it to you because you see. But today I want to trust you right now for what you promise in your word. That if I believe on you right now, you will give me everlasting life. And once I get your life, I want to start learning how to live according to your mind. And I ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. And if you prayed and you trusted Jesus today, definitely come here to the front. Meet one of us up here. I want to give you a copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. Uh, If you attend here, you get fed here, but you're not a member, you ought to be. Come up and talk to us about that. If you're a Christian, you haven't been scripturally baptized, you need to be all in. Come up and we'll uh, get with you on uh, when our next baptisms are. Next Sunday is our seventh class in the School of the Prophets. And Nahum is going to show you how God is going to eventually destroy all your enemies. So you need to be here. Uh, Bring somebody with us that needs the gospel like you do. Go ahead and stand. Praise team, send us out singing. Will you do what God has called you to do this morning? There's altar work.
co-workers on the left and on the right that would love to talk to you. If you pray that prayer, we'd love to talk to you and show you some next steps. You can come forward during this time and speak to one of our altar workers. We're going to sing down just a, a chorus and a verse of, of that first song that we sang, Your Name. Thank you guys.